What's the point of this old guitar if it ain't got no strings? And pouring your heart into a song that you ain't gonna sing. Like having s'mores around a campfire or cotton candy at the county fair. And me, as long as you're right here. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I am Maxwell Ivey, known around the world as The Blind Blogger, and this is another episode of What's Your Excuse, where I bring you conversations with people who I hope will help you overcome the excuses that are holding you back, and I speak with people who have overcome adversity, have thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, have real-world tested advice, uh, have started a new business and done it all on their own in their own way, or people who I'm personally interested in or inspired by. And this week is this week's series of episodes is going to be a little different for two reasons. One, I've never done five shows in five days, even by even with pre-recording them. And uh, two, since the focus is this Mobility Matters event uh, today, I think I have a guest. I'm not sure where he falls in here, but I've had a hell of a time speaking to him for the five or 10 minutes before we went live or record here. And so I know this is going to be a great conversation and he works in a field that's very important to people with disabilities. Y'all can find me at theblindblogger.net. You can also find the podcast along with the other shows hosted by people with disabilities at wyexcuse.com. And you can tell Alexa or Google, Hey, play what's your excuse. So today I'm going to be speaking with Walter Marchbanks, and uh, he works for the Portland Airport, and he's been working there for over 10 years in many different areas of their enterprise. He told me to say that he wears multiple hats, and uh, during his, his work there, he's been in just about every aspect of operating an airport that you could do, including some things I had no idea had anything to do with an airport, like uh, their dog, uh, their their uh, therapy animal program, their volunteer music program. But one thing I did expect, and I'm going to find out today how much it's it's involved in the planning and the operation of an airport, is his work on the accessibility uh, council or committee that they have there at the airport. So. Uh, Walter or Walt said that y'all can visit the website of the airport and find out more about what they're doing to make your make the lives of people with disabilities easier when they travel by going to uh oh crud. Walt, jump in here and give me that website. All right. Flypdx.com forward slash accessibility. All right. Now I told you, and I should have bet money with you that I would probably get something wrong in the intro, but hey, we're through that now. So thanks for being a good sport and jumping in there. And welcome to What's Your Excuse, Walt. Oh, no, it's it's, it's my pleasure. Uh, thanks for hosting me. And and don't worry about it. You know, this is just a conversation, right? So I'll, Oh, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> and the truth is, uh, all the statistical research says the more real you appear to people, the more they will like you. And trust me, if mistakes are reality, I'm I'm about as real as real gets without television, you know? <laughs> I hear you. That's so, great. All right. So why don't you tell people a little bit about how you uh how you first got involved with the airport and then from there to the uh accessibility uh council or the work you're doing to make the airport more accessible. But along the way, I'd really appreciate it if you could tell me a little bit about uh, about why it is that the accessibility issue is so important to you? Well, I guess I'd kind of start by saying that, you know, the airport itself uh, is a little microcosm of the community that we serve, right? So we think of, of airports as um, a reflection of the cities or the communities that they represent. And, you know, airports are public spaces, and they are spaces that are used by many different people from many different walks of life who have many different needs. And ultimately the airport is an inclusive space. So we're trying to create and, and work and provide programs and resources and infrastructure that really help differently able people through their journey, um, no matter where they're at. So um, I guess I'll just kind of, kind of dive right in. I've, I've been at the airport, like I said, for 10 years, um, I started as a, a property manager working on our concessions side of the business and, 
helped launch some really cool projects like our food donation program and a number of other really great initiatives. Um, the last five years or so, I've been um, in a, a customer relations or guest services manager type role, uh, where again, I've definitely worn a number of hats, <laughs> Michael, uh, that have, have definitely done a lot of different things. Um, but I know that we're here to talk about accessibility and, and what the accessibility work at the airport looks like. So um, would you like me to just kind of dive right into that? Or do you have any other questions before we get going? Um, just that um, I need to remind people that uh, the event that Walt will be speaking at is called Mobility Matters. It's the fifth annual conference being put on by the Portland State uh, Education Department. It'll be virtual this year, and they're hoping as a result, uh, many more people from around the world would get to take part in it. It's going to bring you the opportunity to hear from a collection of leaders and experts in fields like climate change, inclusive transportation, and uh, the de development of public spaces with and for people with disabilities. And I won't try to give you the website because it's a long one, and I know I would get it wrong. So just look in the show description. There you have the link where you can go find out more about the conference, where you can register and buy your tickets. So so now that I've corrected my second or third error of the day, yes, please just dive right in. <laughs> no problem. So uh, I guess we got to start at the beginning, right? So going back to 2018, um, the Port of Portland, I work for the Port of Portland. We own and operate PDX and our marine terminals, and also do a lot of industrial land development and other work uh, in the community. Um, we developed what we consider a, the PDX Access Committee, right? Uh, we had a, a number of internal stakeholders um, that we, we brought to the table. Um, so we have Elizabeth Kennedy Wong, who works on our community affairs team. We have a couple of folks from our planning and development group, uh, Dr. Steve Nakana, who's our social equity program manager, uh, and Jill McPherson, who's on our terminal operations team. Uh, brought them to the to the table and discussed what this would all kind of look like. And um, ultimately, the the PDX and the PDX accessibility program has some goals, right? The intent of the program that we put together was to consult with community experts to gather input on accessibility at the airport, to understand the barriers to accessibility and opportunities for improvement, to inform design work and customer service programs to build enhanced relationships with stakeholders who can be consulted with, develop recommendations and best practices that help inform future projects, services, and initiatives, improve our level of customer service, and also become the first age-friendly airport in the U.S. So those were the, the primary goals um, when we uh, endeavored into the accessibility program. Um, the work started by having individual focus groups with um, representatives of organizations um, so we, we brought a number of folks out. We did a number of different workshops. Uh, we hosted a, a large roundtable discussion. And through the, the ongoing dialogue, we established and built really great relationships with these organizations and, and uh, you know, created some, some great opportunities, I guess, for us to, to carry on the dialogue. Um, and then we developed a, a report, which is really a working document that we utilize and refer to whenever we you know, seek to make changes at the airport. Um, so I've got a number of things that we can, you know, talk about some of the feedback that we've received that we've already um, put into action. But um, I guess that's kind of the, the gist of the accessibility committee in a nutshell. So uh, we meet a couple times a year. We meet every six months on regularly scheduled intervals. Uh, but then we also do ad hoc uh, work or focused work. So say we're, we had focused meetings on restroom design and those types of things where we'll, we'll bring folks out and have um, focused discussions as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's been great. Honestly, it's been one of the most meaningful and powerful things that I've been part of, uh, if not the most powerful thing that I've been part of during my employment at the airport. Uh, and something that I take super seriously and something that I think is just really important for the guest experience. Okay, so what I'm wondering about is where did the impetus come from for the airport to decide to go on this uh, this journey towards making what they do more accessible? Well, I guess I would start by saying that the, the airport, uh, like many airports, is under a, a major period of transition right now. You know, they say that the, 
the path to success is always under construction, right? And the airport is no small example of that. So uh, we're a couple of years into a multi-year massive renovation of our main terminal complex. Um, so as part of that project, and that part project is multifaceted, it involved building a new rental car center, uh, doing a whole host of other enabling projects. Um, but ultimately, we knew that it was important to, to really take the, the needs of accessibility, the needs of, of all of our passengers, uh, and make sure that we were including their feedback in the process of designing and building out our facilities. And not only building out the facilities, but also tailoring the services that we're providing during and after construction. So really kind of looking at it on a, a very inclusive and sort of all-encompassing scale. I see. So it sounds like um, your, your airport has always had the approach of serving all of its uh, customers and all of the people who use the airport. And mm-hmm. that, that was just that was just expanded in 2018 to make a more systematic approach to how you deal with people with disabilities. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've always, well, for many years, we've had a community advisory committee, we've had a citizens noise advisory committee, uh, and our community affairs team is very involved in the local community. Um, but what we didn't have prior to 2018 was a focused committee and a focused group of individuals that were really putting a lot of energy and focus specifically into accessibility, including mobility. Right. And so what are, what are a couple of things that you learned over the last three or four years as far as things, you know, both large or small that were causing frustration for people with disabilities? That's a great question. Um, so I guess I would start by saying, uh, have you heard of the carpet at PDX? Are you familiar with the, the uh, it, it has its own persona, honestly. No, I haven't um, heard about that. <laughs> so the, the PDX carpet is a, is a big deal. Um, but what I would say is that, that carpet is a very complicated topic for us. And what I would say is rolling suitcases, uh, rolling things over carpeted floors can be difficult, right? So it's a, it's a balance for us between hard surface flooring, such as terrazzo and carpet. So we've taken a lot of the feedback that we've had uh, from that group, and we've really identified a striking a really uh, unique balance between solid surface flooring and carpeted flooring. So what you'll find is in general circulation in our new main terminal areas, and even in some of the areas that we've recently built out, like Concourse B, which opened in December, and it's beautiful, the common circulation areas are solid surface terrazzo flooring, but the carpeted areas are carpeted, or the, the sort of seating areas, excuse me, are carpeted. So uh, the carpeting provides some warmth, it provides acoustic dampening, um, but the, the movement in general circulation is um, done over a solid surface. So that's just one example of something that we've, you know, really okay. taken let the me, needs of, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so let me, let me see if I'm following you here. What y'all did is you broke, it, broke the airport down into areas where people would have to drag luggage and areas where people didn't have to drag luggage, and then decided on the flooring. Based on that, am I following yeah, I mean, that's a fair, uh, it, that's a simplified version of it. But yeah, that's it's basically what we're going with, you know. Um, so yeah, I'd say that that's the, that's the general idea, for sure. Okay, so that, yeah. that, see, that to me is impressive, because what I find from most major corporations and major, major organizations is the last thing they want to do is have a split decision or have a combination <laughs> of decisions they all tend to want to have one decision and write one purchase order and one installation order and be done with it. So you know, what y'all did, it may seem simple, but I think what y'all did took a, probably took a lot of heart to actually do given the way uh, bureaucracies work in, in most large organizations. Yep. My, I definitely hear you there. Um, I can give you a couple other uh, easy examples. Um, we heard feedback from the accessibility committee that, you know, one of the most nerve-wracking things can be in the airport is to feel like you've heard your voice over the loudspeaker, but then not know if your name was actually called over our RPA system. Hmm. So what we did was we developed a system, a proprietary in-house system that actually displays all of the airport-wide announcements that get made over a 24-hour period on our website. So if you're at the airport and you think to yourself, hmm, I wonder if I've I wonder if they called my name, then, you know, it's, it's all, 
on our accessibility page. So uh, we've actually used that before to see if people, uh, you know, if they had a lost item at the airport and they their you know name got paged over the intercom to go retrieve it at the the TSA checkpoint and so forth. So um, it's it's been a pretty and and it's just coming some of these really small changes that can mean a, a big difference to people too. Right. And do y'all also offer push notifications off the website for something like that? You know, unfortunately, we can't do push notifications unless we had a mobile app. So that's something that uh, as we move towards the future, if we do decide to have a mobile app, we'll be able to do push notifications, which I think would be really helpful. So. Right. Right. Well, it's still, though, you're, you know, you're trying to put yourself in the position of the person that you're serving, whether that person has a disability or not. And, you know, exactly. Uh, and that's that's the really important part. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of companies that won't take the time or don't have the capacity within their uh, within their staff to have somebody who can put themselves in somebody else's position and try to figure out what what they are missing or what they need. So mm-hmm. it sounds like y'all are doing some good work there. Now, uh, how does what you're doing at your port is that having any effect on what is is considered best practices at other airports around the country so what i would say is that you know the airport industry is relatively small right uh and we're all friends so at the end of the day we're always learning from one another um our partners up north in seattle have a really great accessibility program so we have folks from Seattle, Tacoma, or Seattle Airport that participate in our accessibility work and vice versa. We're always learning from each other. Um, we're constantly keeping ourselves apprised of what's going on and what's current in the airport environment. Um, we study, we learn, we, you know, we get information from other airports and we share other information from other airports as well. So um, what I would say is that you know, our ADA coordinator uh, is well-connected as well. Um, and the relationships that we have with the community organizations that we partner with, such as Open Doors, uh, Basic Rights Oregon, the Autism Society of Oregon, uh, and of course, our relationship with Portland State University, it's all really helpful for us in terms of being uh, in front of what's happening from an emergence and technology perspective or what services might be uh, necessary um, or, or coming up. Um, so I think we're we're always in a process of learning, I suppose. Um, and we're always trying to study best practice. Right. And I would imagine that as the technology changes, especially the new, as more of the new technology is being adopted by people with disabilities, that uh, sometimes it can be difficult to, to account for some of the newest trends. That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So... Do you have any, did you receive any special training or did your ADA coordinator receive any special training to, before embarking on this role or have y'all been basically learning as you go? No, we've, we've taken special training. Uh, I took a, a training class through Airports Council International. It was a, a half-day seminar. Um, I've also had some training through Hollaback uh, around gender inclusivity and gender uh, training as well. Um, and you know, I would say that we're we're always in a process of learning. I've taken uh, sensory inclusive training through Culture City. They're a, a group that we partner with on our sensory room at the airport, which we actually just opened our first sensory room at PDX this last month. So um, I would say that, you know, we're always looking for training opportunities and, and trying to keep ourselves um, sharp and, and to the best of our ability. So, yeah, I would think since most people only think about the airport when they have to go there or when something bad has happened while they were there or while they were on their way somewhere else that to find, to find out that you'll actually invest all this time in making the experience pleasant, not just for the general public, but also for people with disabilities would probably surprise most people. (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, PDX is a relatively unique in that our airport is a source of civic pride for the community. I think if you talk to somebody from Portland, one of the first things they'd probably tell you is that we have a great airport and I hear that all the time from my friends and loved ones, and it, it makes me feel really proud that I'm part of the community at the airport and that I get to do this type of work. Right. Now, you mentioned having a sensory room for people with autism, and what exactly is it? I can I got an idea what it might be, but... Uh... Yeah, that's, that's, a good, that's a great question. So, you know, sensory rooms are for people who have 
you know, sensory needs. And, and, you know, yes, many of them are on the autism spectrum, but, you know, there are other people that have uh, chronic migraines, chronic pain, cystic fibrosis, other hidden disabilities that can really benefit from a calming environment. You know, the airport can be inherently uh, hectic and chaotic and stressful, right? There's parking and then there's, you know, you have to go through security and then there's noises and uh, the, the place, the sensory room is really a great space to just kind of deregulate, just kind of calm yourself down. There's, uh, we've got you know, bubble walls in the space, there's lighting, there's comfortable seating. Uh, and it's just a really great place for, for families and individuals to come and just relax a little bit before they get on their flight. You know, that's a great idea. And beyond uh, people that want that, um, that relaxed space before they, could, before they continue on to their flight, I've, I've known several guide dog owners who wish that there were uh, that there were sensory rooms they could take the dogs into sometimes and get them away from some of the excess noise that's out there in, in their travels. Yeah, uh, that, make, that makes a ton of sense. And our, our therapy dog program has been really, really helpful for people who are stressed out while they're traveling. So we have a really unique um, therapy dog program. It's operated by a, a, a local hospital called Dove Lewis, and they actually operate the program or, you know, provide the volunteers for the program and, um, it's, it's just been wonderful for the guest experience. So, so how exactly does a therapy dog program work at the airport? Well, it it operates differently at a lot of different airports, you know, a lot of different airports, they, they have um, their own programs that they manage with their own in-house staff. And for us, uh, we have this really great relationship with Dove Lewis Um, again, like I was mentioning, and they have a, a volunteer program coordinator that, that handles all of the scheduling of the different, uh, canine therapy teams. We provide them with parking. Uh, they have an agreement with us, right, through the Port of Portland. So um, we're we're sort of in a reciprocal relationship. Um, but ultimately, they have staff that come out and uh, they bring their dogs, and the dogs and the handlers engage with passengers who you know kind of give them the eye or want the engagement, right? And they they come over and they you know they get some cuddles or you know they get a they get a pet them, and they have special bathing protocols, right? In light of COVID and they do a lot of different things that, um, you know, try to keep the the animal handlers and the traveling public safe by virtue of the program. But um, I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. You can see people who are stressed, just, you can see the stress just melt off of them as they're engaging with the dog. It's, it's remarkable, honestly. Yeah. I, I once worked for the internal revenue service and I was there for a couple of three years until I decided my mental health was worth more than what they were paying me. Um, and when I left, several of my coworkers said they were disappointed because they were told I was going to be bringing a dog with me, and the office really needed an, emo- an emotional support animal. Yeah, well, they, they can be very, very helpful. And uh, again, it's been a really great compliment to the guest experience, and everybody seems to love them. So, all right. So, um, all right. Now, you you also mentioned earlier that y'all have a volunteer music program. What is that about? Oh yeah. So we have, uh, we have live music in the airport. Um, so we we've had this program since 2002. It started right in the wake of nine 11. Um, when we had people that were traveling through the airport, were just very, very stressed. We had, uh, we have a great volunteer program, volunteer information program at the airport that, um, historically has had around 150 folks that have been part of it. And we had a couple of them that, that played piano and said, Hey, people are stressed. Uh, if you'd be willing to provide a piano, we would love to come in and play for the public. Um, so I guess kind of uh, one thing led to another, uh, and the program has grown and evolved uh, over the years. We now have five different locations at the airport. Uh, we have roughly 20 people that are involved in the program, um, and they they come in. They play a three-hour shift. Uh, we provide them with parking and security badging, um, and they they come in, and they they play. Uh, and you know, they're able to, uh, you know, sell their merchandise and sell music and, of course, accept gratuities uh, while they're there. Um, but the people that are involved in the program, most of them are involved in the program because they just absolutely love what the music does to the guest experience. They love what it, it does for the customers that feel the music and experience the music. You know, it, it's a very calming environment. Um, and what I would say is that, you know, our music program is not 
like you you might find in some other airports. You know, there's no there's not a stage. You know, there's not lighting that goes along with it. You know, it's it's intended to to complement and enhance the experience at the airport, not be the experience at the airport. Uh, and the musicians that are involved in the program uh, know what its therapeutic powers are and um, absolutely love being involved. So. Well, as I was hearing you explain that, I was thinking, really, that sort of stuff goes on at other airports because, you know, as a blind person, if people don't tell me about it, the odds are I don't know about it, you know? Um, so I was, I mean, just not aware that at some airports they have taken it to the point where it's like uh, a show as opposed to um, as opposed to something in the background that makes people feel more at ease. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's all you know every airport has a different approach right uh but that's always our our model has been you know that it's really intended to complement the guest experience and we're we're really happy the way it goes so okay so um what are some of the challenges y'all anticipate over the 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 next few years here as far as uh continuing to be to have an inclusive approach to the way you run the airport well, you know, we're still going to be in construction for the next few years. So um, right now we're working on some um, some different projects and initiatives that are intended to, to help people prepare. So uh, we have a, a resource right now on our website called the Let's Fly Guidebook, and we're in the process of updating that. What that is, is it's a, a tool that you can utilize to really help prepare yourself for the travel experience. Again, now that we're, um, you know, we're in the midst of a, a pandemic and a lot of folks haven't traveled for quite some time the airport looks much different than most people did you know a, a couple years from now you know a couple years ago so um you know what i would say is that the next few years uh we're gonna work on making sure that we're doing our our best putting our best foot forward um to assist through all of the construction that we have and we're going to continue to look for opportunities to enhance the guest experience um one of those is that we're working on a, a partnership with good maps i know that you're uh you're going to you've met with Mike May, I believe already, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We spoke a little while ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, we, we've uh, met with Mike as well, and we're working on a, a pilot project right now with their group to, to map uh, a significant portion of the airport, all of concourse E actually, uh, which is where Southwest and United passengers fly. So um, looking ahead to, you know, continuing on with that. And ultimately if the, if the pilot is successful and we see that, um, folks are really enjoying the platform, then there's a potential that we could look to scale that uh, as we work on developing more construction in our main terminal. So, yeah, the thing that impressed me about the uh, about the good maps, maps option is the potential for it to help the able-bodied person as much as if not more than the person with a disability. I agree. Which, which I think is often overlooked when you have conversations about disability in the workplace or in, in public spaces like, like at an airport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, y'all I'm, I'm enjoying talking with, uh, with Walter March banks. He works for the Portland airport and he's been there for 10 years in a variety of capacities, including his work with the accessibility uh, program there. And, uh, the, the name of the website again, please. Uh, flypdx.com forward slash accessibility. You know, I'm not doing a good job for you. People are going to think oh. that's a hard name to remember. People are going to think that's a hard name to remember. <laughs> uh, and, and right. of course, you know, and of course, you're going to be speaking at the Mobility Matters Conference on the 3rd, which is their fifth annual. And it's going to bring together a lot of experts in the fields of climate change, disability, inclusive transportation, and inclusive design. So, I hope y'all will check that out. So, you know, I, I grew up in a family of carnival owners, so concessions are a big part of my life. So is there, I mean, how does, how does uh, accessibility come into if, if at all, when it comes to the, the food and drinks side of the business? Well, I would say, you know, it, it comes into a lot, you know, what I would say is that, you know, people need access to merchandise. So, you know, we intentionally review all of their, uh, fixture designs and the way that they're queuing passengers or queuing guests up. Uh, of course, all of their spaces need to be ADA compliant. So they're going to have all their design standards built around that. But 
you know, ultimately people need freedom of movement in spaces. So making sure that you're not running into a garment rack followed by another garment rack when you're in a shop, right? So all those uh, decisions are intentional for us and that we, you know, we think about those things. Um, what I would also say is that uh, we made some real significant changes to uh, providing visual remote interpreters. So we have a, a relationship with a company called Language Line Services and Language Line uh, translates into I forget how many, a hundred, over a hundred languages, uh, but they have a, a part of their technology that also allows um, through their mobile app, uh, the ability to engage with a visual remote interpreter uh, and do other uh, types of technologies there. So we've scaled that out and extended that out to all of our first responders and all of our operations teams. So um, that technology exists for us. Uh, but I guess in terms of navigating through a, a retail environment, you know, Again, there's just intent, there's, there's deliberate thought into how the stores and how the spaces are laid out. That's probably the best way to look at it. Right. Um, for me, whenever I'm in an airport, I'm usually traveling by myself. So uh, I'm wondering how accessible it is as far as finding something in one of the stores or finding something to eat and still being able to make a flight or make a connecting flight. I mean, it's, I know that's a very difficult question for you to speak to because it's a personal thing, but I mean, yeah. uh, you know, what, 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 if anything, do y'all have in place to, you know, to make that? Cause I'm, I'm you know, y'all understand the time constraints better than anybody. Sure. So. Yeah. So I say that, uh, so for, for people who uh, choose to travel, by themselves without an escort, you know, so such as yourself, when you're traveling, are you traveling by yourself in your, in, in its entirety? Yes. Do you ever have a, you ever have anybody with you or are you just by yourself usually? Nobody else ever wants to go, man. That <laughs> doesn't seem very nice. <laughs> no, uh, it's the truth. It's the truth. Um, um, but yeah, so yeah, traveling completely by myself, but I, I tend to, to make friends along the way. So quite often um, I will, get to know i'll get to know really well the um the person that either does a sighted guide or in places where they want me to take a wheelchair the person that pushes the wheelchair right. so i use i usually uh you know have conversations with those people and you know and i'm not afraid to ask for what i want but you know like i say uh, sometimes it's just a matter of the a lot of time versus not being familiar with the airport yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. If you're traveling into a new place, uh, I'm sure it's probably complicated to figure out how you're going to get around. And, and uh, you know, do you use a, a an app or a, a certain platform or a certain type of technology when you're out and about? I, people keep telling me I should use an app and I've, I've tried a couple of them, but for the most part, I tend to, I tend to lean more on the, on the human interaction with the, sure. with the staff and other passengers. Right now, which, which makes total sense. So what I would say, so I, one of the things that we didn't really get into is that I also manage our airport wide customer service program. Um, and that program itself has been around for 11 years and um, it has core values, friendly, knowledgeable, and respectful. And a big part of providing good customer services uh, being intuitive. You know, you can, you can tell when somebody, you know, might need a little help. And, you know, might have some questions, even though they don't know that they have questions, right? Using some intuition um, and being proactive in your approach. So what I would say is that by virtue of, of our airport having the best employees of any airport, I would like to think that if they saw you and they, they said, you know what, he might need a little help or he might have a question, you know, uh, he might wonder where to find some things uh, that I would, I would like to think that um, without, uh, you know, without being... It's hard to say I, without, I, without bragging too much on the help. Right. Uh, exactly. Exactly. But I, I, I like to think that they would come over and ask if you needed something or if I, if they okay. could help you out with something, you know? Um, and what I would also say is, you know, uh, airports are, are tricky environments if you do need a wheelchair and, you know, airports do not provide wheelchairs in the United States. Uh, they are provided by the airline. And I think, you know, uh, that can be a little complicated. Most people make arrangements in advance with wheelchair providers or, or with their, their airline when they're looking to travel and utilize a wheelchair. Um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes people 
get halfway into their trip and realize that they need a hand, you know? Yeah, um, I, was in, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and halfway up the hill to the backside of the airport, I realized it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but that's a good point, that a lot of times the customer service at the airport isn't provided by the airport, it's provided by the airlines that you're there to do business with. Exactly. And, you know, the, the way that we've managed it or, or something that we've done that I think is helpful is, you know, all of our white courtesy telephones, um, you can reach a wheelchair provider based on your airline, right? So you pick up the white courtesy phone, uh, you'll dial the the number I'm escaping me right now, seven or nine. Uh, and, you know, it'll connect you with a phone tree and it'll say, you know, hi, you've called our wheel there, wheelchair dispatch number for Alaska Airlines, press one for, you know, the other airlines, press two, right? So the ability to kind of um, connect with, uh, you know, the right parties or party uh, right off the gate, I think is a, a great way to look at it. Um, this information is also available on our uh, accessibility portion of our website, which is flypdx.com forward slash accessibility, <laughs> by the way. Um, so yeah. what, I would, what I would say is we have a little section here that is wheelchair assistance, uh, wheelchair service or assistance for slight, or excuse me, for sight impaired travelers. So uh, we do have a, a, a great phone number that you can call. Um, it's open from six in the morning till 1130 at night, seven days a week. So 503-460-4234. Um, and those hours do change episodically, by the way. But just uh, if you're at the airport, you're during sort of general, you know, normal hours, I suppose, uh, you can call or text <laughs> that phone number and ask a question and somebody will be able to help you out there, too, which I think is nice. Right. Um so, uh, and again, we, we also have a, a phone number, like I said, this, this phone number that you can contact. So if you're, uh, if you're in the garage or if you just need um, to get a hold of a wheelchair, dialing 503-460-4300 um, will get you into that phone tree as well uh, to, to get a wheelchair wherever you're at, um, whether you're at the rental car center or if you're somewhere in the terminal, or if you're in the parking garage, um, you'll be able to get some assistance. Well, I appreciate the numbers. I didn't intend for this to turn into a test. Hey, but, that's all right. <laughs> it's fine. But you can I, tell the boss. I can. You can tell the boss for me. You pass. So all right. Yeah, sounds uh, great. Yeah, so, so why don't you talk a little bit about what you're going to talk about at the uh, conference, so people will will have a better understanding of why they need to be there, so they can so they can learn from you and the other speakers. Well, that's a that's a fair question. So, I, what I was planning on discussing is, you know, talking a little bit about how we came to be. What what was the what was the impetus behind this work to begin with? Um, again, kind of covering the goals, talking about what we chatted about during our discussion today, but then also really spending a little bit more time um, diving into the feedback and action, as I call it. Right? Uh, feedback is a gift. Uh, when you get feedback from people, uh, you know, if it if it falls on deaf ears or people aren't uh, listening or or really trying to take it to heart and try to make changes. Um, then it's just really not what it's intended to do. So um, the intent for us is to, you know, talk about some of the feedback that we've gotten and then what we've done with that feedback. Um, and that's really what the, the focus of my discussion at the Mobility Matters Conference is going to be around. Uh, and I am on a panel, so I'm not going to have more than, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to kind of articulate what I'm going to go through. Um, <laughs> But at the same token, same don't token, sound so relieved, yeah. man. Yeah, no, it's going to be fine. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, a conversation, yeah. right? So no big deal. Yeah. Um, but I, but I do think it's going to be a really great uh, conference. And and um, PSU is the first conference that I've ever seen pivot due to the pandemic. They were all queued up a couple of years ago to host this conference in person, uh, and then made the most what can only be described as the most epic pivot of all time, uh, transitioning over from an in-person conference to a virtual conference in a matter of a week or two. It was, it was absolutely incredible. So um, I'm excited to participate. I've attended uh, for the last few years and um, definitely look forward to the discussion. Okay. Something I've been, I've been noticing along the way here is we, is we started out to talk about uh, disability and accessibility, but it seems to me, that in COVID and whatever will happen as we start to get out of COVID, it seems to me the biggest concern y'all have is the emotional well-being of the passengers. And that extends across all individuals, uh, 
not just people with disabilities. Uh, so this seems to me that's your biggest challenge. Well, I would say, you know, it's, it's both physical and emotional. So the, the physical piece, you know, is, you know, masks are still required at the airport. Uh, and I don't see that changing in the immediate term. So uh, we've also done a lot of work around improving the, the physical environment too, providing hand sanitizer stations, providing wipe stations for bags or for, um, for the bins at the TSA, you know, um, doing signage throughout the airport and really, you know, working to, to improve the sort of the physical aspects of things. But I would say that the, you know, it's, it's hard to understate the emotional impact of the pandemic, that it has created additional stress for people. And the airport is already a stressful environment, right? Inherently. Yes. Absolutely. So, so I would say, you know, I personally focus a lot more of my time and energy on services as opposed to, you know, the, the physical pieces. I coordinate a lot of that or I'll help get the right people at the table so that they can have those focused discussions and think about the future from a services or from a, a physical infrastructure perspective. But the, the uh, services side of things is something that I have a direct hand in addressing. Um, because it's, it's more of my personal focus with my job. So uh, it's something that I probably am going to spend a little bit more time discussing at the conference too. Right. And of course, this has all been aggravated by the fact that even with the federal mandates, you still have people who want to make masks a political issue as opposed to a health and safety issue. So that doesn't make your job any easier. Yeah, well, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, masks were not required outside of the airport, but they were required inside the airport. And now they're required in the airport and they're starting to be less necessary outside of the airport. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a complicated dichotomy. But I will say that our, our operations team, you know, really strikes a, a kind balance from uh, ensuring that, you know, we're, we're handling those instances with uh, a customer service touch and that, you know, yes, there is an enforcement piece to ensuring that people are compliant with the rules and regulations of the airport. Um, but we also want people to understand that it's really because of, you know, decisions that are rooted in public safety that masks are required. So definitely not a political issue to us. Right. Well, not to, not to me either, but uh, I try to, I try to stay as, as, as out of the political stuff as much as I possibly can, because I'm not famous enough to overcome people getting pissed off at me. Um, so something that just occurred to me is that at an airport, y'all have a control over a lot of things, but then the airlines themselves also have a lot of impact over certain other things. So, um, have you had any difficulties getting the airlines to come on board with the things you've been doing uh, to make the airport more uh, more passenger friendly? Not one bit, honestly. Our airlines are amazing partners. So I'll give you a great example. Uh, we recently rolled out a program called the Sunflower Lanyard Program at the airport. Uh, it's in a number of airports. Started in Gatwick, um, and it's it's really intended to identify individuals that have hidden disabilities, which could include autism, cystic fibrosis, chronic pain, and, and many, many others, and really identifies those passengers as, you know, needing some additional care. So when we rolled the program out, we rolled the program out this past August, uh, and our distribution points were down a baggage claim, and they were in other areas. Our, our information booths, we have a couple information booths, so they're located in baggage claim, Ideally, if we had information booths on the ticketing level, because most of the passengers that need a, a sunflower lanyard that want one are a departing passenger, right? So they're going to oh. be on the ticketing level, generally speaking. So uh, in February, so starting on February 1st, we changed that strategy because we just didn't really feel like we were getting enough lanyards out into the, into the community. So we went to the airlines and we said, airline business partners, we would love to distribute these at every single airline ticket counter in the terminal. And they were all supportive of it. And we provided them with lanyards. We provided them with training. Uh, we provided them with all the resources that they needed to ultimately distribute the lanyards. Uh, and we've actually had some folks that have reordered them because, you know, they've gone through them. So uh, what I would say is that, you know, we have just an absolutely special relationship with 
uh, our airline business partners, and I have not encountered an instance where uh, they pushed back on something that was central to accessibility or mobility. Um, we've had a great relationship with Alaska Airlines. They've worked with the Autism Society to host an event called Sky's the Limit, uh, which is a, a program that's for uh, infrequent or new flyers or, you know, predominantly uh, parents with children who are on the autism spectrum, but uh, it, it can apply to a number of different people. Um, and Alaska Airlines has been an amazing partner through that and actually led that effort uh, with us as a, in a supporting role because they were so passionate about it. So uh, I would say that, um, you know, again, every airport is, is somewhat unique, but um, I, I literally have nothing but amazing things to say about how great and supportive the airlines have been at the airport. Well, that's good to hear. Now, what about as far as your uh, community? I know you've said several times that y'all have a, a great relationship with the city of Portland. So as far as the political leadership and the business community in Portland, has the work y'all have done with accessibility affected any of their decisions as far as inclusion? Well, we do have a number of folks that are from the city uh, that participate on our accessibility group. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the most of the folks from the city, um, well, I guess there's, there's several of, there's several individuals that are from the city, but the, the airport is not operated by a city municipality. So okay. the, the port of Portland is, is uh, an entity of the state government, not the city government. Um, but I would say that the city has a lot of work that they're currently doing um, and that we try to support their work to the best we can. But um, we have a, a whole separate effort that, that goes on to sort of align all of that work with our community government affairs team. So, okay. Well, it just, it just occurred to me that if, you know, you guys are doing such a great job in so many areas that I was hoping that what y'all were doing might be rubbing off on some of the business uh, leaders in the area. That's kind of what it, I was hoping. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what I will say is that I'm always thinking bigger, right? Uh, so, for example, um, our work on uh, our sensory room, right, that we have a relationship with the Portland Trailblazers, our NBA team here in town, uh, with the Portland Timbers, who's our major league soccer team in town. And, you know, when we roll something out, we're always looking to them to – you know, create scale. And if there's economies of scale, or if there's ways that we can help each other, because we, we serve millions of people, both of us do, right? All of our entities do. So we're, we're always looking to the local community. And I would also say that, you know, our, our other travel bureaus, so whether it's Travel Oregon, which really focuses on state tourism, or Travel Portland, who really focuses on um, conventions and other citywide focused tourism, um, that we do have a really great working relationship with them um, more broadly with respect to tourism. Uh, but when it comes down to accessibility, yeah, we're, we're sharing notes, but um, I wouldn't say that uh, I'm personally in lockstep with accessibility with uh, either of those two organizations, but it's a really good call out. Okay. Well, you know, we can only hope because as, 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 uh, as uh, Mike was telling me, you know, the, it takes, it takes some, it takes a number of successes before an attitude can become a movement before people will start adopting their product on, on, on a larger scale. But so, you know, since y'all are setting such a great example in the community, I was hopeful. But, yeah. Well, I, I certainly think that the work that we're doing this, you know, speaking at the mobility matters conference is just a way to try to help spread the, the, the news of what we're doing out into the community as well so that people know a little bit more about it because, you know, a lot of the work that we do is behind the scenes, to be honest. It's it, you know, a lot of it is, is, you know, happening uh, at the ground level. And if we can create more awareness around uh, our website or other programs that we have um, that help make the airport more navigable, make it more accessible for people. Um, one of the things that I think is one of the biggest kept secrets in the whole travel industry is the TSA cares program. Have you ever heard of the TSA cares program? No, before? no, I haven't heard of the TSA cares program, but the, but the one time I was patted down in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, I was impressed with their knowledge of how to address a, a, a visually impaired person for that process. I was, um, after it was over with, I was like, man, I wish I'd have had this on camera because, because <laughs> most, because I mean, the guy could have taught a course on how to do it with somebody who can't see, you know, it was just, 
I, I wondered if maybe he had just been through the course, you know, it was, uh, you know, one of those things kind of like when you go to your doctor, or your dentist, everything before he did it, he said what he was going to do. And, you know, he uh, was always checking to make sure if I was still okay with what he was doing. So it was, it was a very, what well, I won't say it was pleasant because those kind of things are there, but it was, it was as, uh, as painless or as, uh, as, as it, it was, I felt as little discomfort as you can with something like that. So tell me about TSA cares. Yeah. So, so TSA cares. So what I would say is that uh, our airport has a dedicated customer service team um, that is really focused on providing additional support and additional care for people. Um, But nationally TSA has a program called TSA cares and what TSA cares is, is it's a helpline that provides travelers with disabilities, medical conditions, and other special circumstances that need some additional assistance during the screening process. So, you know, say, for example, uh, you know, you have a, a special piece of medical equipment that needs some additional care, right? Um, if you Googled TSA cares, you could find it, but the, the web address is tsa.gov forward slash travel forward slash passenger dash support. So if you were to go there, you can email them uh, that, you know, your, your sort of details in advance, you can call them and give them uh, the information in advance. They like some notice. So they like to know at least 72 hours ahead of when you're going to travel. But if, if you have some special needs, if you're traveling with a, a child who has a severe form of autism, or if you're uh, a very nerd, maybe you've never traveled before and you're just absolutely scared. I don't, it, it, it's all, you know, a matter, matter of personal need and personal preference you know, notify them in advance and that they will support you. Uh, and that's a national program, but again, very proud of, of the, the work and effort that happens here at the local level. Um, because I've heard really great testimonials from passengers who have utilized that service. Um, and it's really, uh, served to help get them through the screening experience in a much more, uh, pleasant and, and less, uh, uncertain way. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, as far as the as far as the future of access of accessibility and it sounds to me like we're really talking more about inclusion because y'all have to think about uh emotional well-being physical disabilities uh even even in some cases y'all have to take into account gender issues so where do you see the future of what you do as far as providing an inclusive approach at the airport well, I think the first is centered around the principle of choice. So uh, we are working on uh, providing all user restrooms as a, as a choice. So some people, uh, and that, that's where you have individual stalls that have partitions that extend all the way to the floor, and they're for all people. And people come in, they u- utilize their own sort of individual restroom stall, uh, and then there's a communal area where, you know, people of all uh, genders, all users can can use the hand wash sink, but that may not be the experience that everybody wants. So there are still going to be gendered restrooms that exist. Um, we're also going to have what we consider enhanced family restrooms that have additional services and amenities that are in those as well, which could include adult changing stations and other uh, amenities that don't exist in our current uh, family restrooms as well. So um, I think that you'll look ahead to see more of that uh, as we build the airport of the future as well. Well, I had not even thought of uh, adult changing tables. Uh, I, I I figured you were going to tell me something like um, nursing stations or diaper changing stations for the women. But as the population continues to get older and we have more people who have uh, mental, mental illnesses that lead to less capacity, uh, something like that is actually going to become more and more important. So you guys are really thinking. I'm really impressed. Well, it, it extends far beyond the, the, the services that we provide, right? It's a lot, of, a lot of it is, is physical infrastructure. And, you know, you have to build it the right way in order to serve it the right way or to operate it the right way, right? So uh, putting a lot of intent and focus into what we design and ultimately build out will only serve our customers longer term because these are big long-term investments that we're making. Right. And that's one of the other things I've been told that this conference is going to address is that uh, when we build, when we design, construct, and build for inclusion, 
we are less likely to find ourselves five or 10 years down the road having to spend large amounts of money to correct something that was left out to begin with. That, that makes total sense to me. <laughs> Says the guy who spends his life planning the future of the airport. Yeah. Uh, well, look, uh, well, look, Walt, I really appreciate you uh, setting aside some time to talk with me. I've really enjoyed this. And if I'm ever in Portland, I would, would, would love to sit and talk with you again. And uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, that you, you have a, a great time at the conference and I'm sure you're going to uh, going to share a lot of important things with the, with the people there. I, I'm certainly looking forward to it and I appreciate the time. Well, thank you. Okay, so yet another great conversation around or with one of the uh, expected speakers at Mobility Matters. Um, had a great time talking with, uh, with Walt about the airport and accessibility and, you know, really understanding that they are successful and their plans are working to, to be more inclusive because they're really having to take so many different things into, into account. The physical disabilities, the emotional stress that people are under when they visit an airport, um, the difference in ages of the population, mental and emotional disabilities, and even in some cases, gender issues. So, you know, to, to manage all those things as they continue to grow an airport, which I'm sure is growing very quickly, as most of, most of the airports in this country are, that um, it's just really impressive. And, you know, he's a, he's a really cool guy to talk to. I enjoyed speaking with him. I think the most important thing we can take away from him today is whether you're running a small company or a major airport, the real thing you have to do is you have to try to put yourself in the place of your customers, try to take their needs, their concerns, and their desires into account as much as you possibly can in your business model. And that if you will do that in the early stages, you can avoid hurt feelings, you can avoid expensive reconstruction costs down the road because of having to fix something that you didn't consider earlier when you had a chance to consider it. And so I, I think those are some great lessons we can take by implication from my, my new friend, Walt. I do hope that y'all will visit the Portland website. I bet it sounds like a really cool website, and I'm sure it's just as accessible as their property, which is flypdx.com slash accessibility. For those of you who thought I would never be able to say it by myself, y'all just lost a bet or y'all just had to take a drink. I'm not sure which. I do appreciate uh, him spending time with me. I also, you know, happy to be part of the Mobility Matters event, which is a great collection of experts and thought leaders, not just people with disabilities, but people who represent uh, federal, state, and local government entities. This is going to be the fifth anniversary or the fifth annual. It's virtual, so they hope so many more people will get the opportunity to, uh, to participate and to learn from it this time from, from all over the world. And uh, I really do hope you will consider visiting the website. I will put the website in the description. Visit the website, find out more about the event, and consider registering to attend the conference. Uh, if by hearing any of what I have to say or the conversations I've had with their, with their speakers encourages you to go, then please let me and them know because I am having a lot of fun having these conversations. I'm hopeful that these will drive more people to want to attend the event. But the only way we'll know how successful we are or are not is for y'all to let us know. So please, if you benefited from the conversation, reach out to me and say so. If the conversation encourages encourages you to attend the event, please let uh, please let Sharon and Amy from the organizer let them know that. Uh, if you are considering going into the field of being an orientation and mobility instructor, they have one of the best programs in the country for that. It was actually the third to be started in America to teach instructors of orientation and mobility. There's a great shortage of instructors, and they told me to mention that they offer scholarships to people willing to go into this field. Uh, my next conversation is actually going to be with a lady named Samantha, who is one of their recent uh, students or graduates. And then on Friday, we're going to finish off by having a talk with the organizer and founder of the department. So 
look forward to talking to y'all again really, really soon. I do appreciate that y'all spend time with me, even though y'all have so many other options you could be spending your time on. Also, without knowing y'all are supporting me, I really couldn't continue to keep doing this. So I appreciate that. Until next time. Oh, yeah. Uh, besides Mobility Matters, besides flypdx.com slash accessibility, I almost forgot to mention my own website, theblindblogger.net, where you can find the podcast, or wyexcuse.com, where you can find the podcast network of hosts who happen to have a disability or whose shows focus on people with disabilities. Hope you go to wyexcuse.com. You can always listen to this show by telling Alexa, Google, or Siri, hey, play What's Your Excuse? All right, thank you and take care now. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away to what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. I choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide.